Established in 2001, Returning to Spirit provides healing and reconciliation workshops nationwide. A mother, grandmother, and residential school survivor, Executive Director Lisa Raven applies her experiences and expertise to the idea of reconciliation, working with people to help them move forward from what has been keeping them stuck in life. My name is Lisa Raven and I'm from Hollow Water First Station. I'm the Executive Director of Returning to Spirit. Uh, but I'm also a certified trainer, so been with the organization since 2007. I'm a mother to three and a grandmother to one. Cool. I'm really excited to learn more about Returning to Spirit. From For our audience, what is Returning to Spirit? Returning to Spirit is a nonprofit charitable organization that was established in 2001. And we've been doing healing and reconciliation uh, workshops all across the country. Uh, we've been in most of the provinces and two of the three territories throughout the years. And we don't usually market. It's, it's mostly uh, word of mouth. So people, hey, you know what, you should take this. And that's how we get our invitations to communities all across the country. Returning to Spirit was first established to address uh, the residential school uh, legacy back in the early 2000s. So in 2001. And so we've been doing uh, reconciliation work uh, for the past 20 plus years, uh, long before uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was even established. So for us, we hold ourselves as experts almost um, in, the, in the idea um, of reconciliation. If you've been doing this for 20 years, I would consider you, yes, experts uh, in this in this category. Wow, I didn't realize it was around for so long. And I mean, with all the news that we've been seeing, you know, with Fairy Creek and everything, there's so much issues right now within uh, Indigenous communities. Learning about reconciliation and going through these workshops is more important than ever. What does a reconciliation workshop look like? We come at our reconciliation kind of backwards. So we don't we don't tell people um, how or what they need to do to reconcile. In fact, we go around it the opposite way. And so we show people what's in front um, of this idea of reconciliation. So what are the barriers? Our method is that once you can show people what's in front or what's blocking, what's stopping, then you can actually do something about it. So it's the awareness that there is other obstacles and there are other factors in play other than just let's bring two, two sides together um, and reconcile. So, so when we look at reconciliation, and so we were founded wanting to uh, reconcile or resolve uh, the legacy of residential school. So I'm going to use that example uh, through this model. All right. And so let's say over here, a that is indigenous indigenous people and the little x here that that is residential school or a person's um a person's experience um around residential school so when that happened um you know and whatever happened it could have been they got their hair cut they were forced to pray they could have been abused there and you know i'm not allowed to speak their language punished for that and so it generates um, all types of feelings and all types of thoughts. 
right? And so we are naturally born into the world, you know, uh, trusting everybody and thinking everybody is safe, thinking the world around us is, you know, amazing. It, it, you know, it, it, it's to be explored, you know, it's a safe place. But then something happens, and that's the X. Something happens that kind of shakes our faith, right, in ourselves, in people, and in the world. And so we start to create a narrative about that. And we call that a story. So we start creating a narrative about the other um, or about life. And it could be, um, you know, people are mean, people are bad, right? You can't trust people. And then there's anger, there's resentment, you know, that gets built up, you know, through the years. And it's not just one, it's not just one event, right? Because so most of us, we have many, many events that have happened throughout the course of our lives. And we just keep building upon that story. And so what happens is it creates like an already listening, right? And so um, an already knowing. So because we've had, you know, these experience, we make a decision or we make a belief that people are this way, the world is this way, or I am this way. And it, it, it's an assumption, uh, that we make about the other, but it, it comes from a place of knowing because it's experiential based, right? And so we already know how the other people are. We already know what's going to happen. We already know what this is like. And then, so we start doing things and being a particular way in accordance with that story. So if that means, okay, you know, white people or the church, they're not safe. So then I will start taking on those behaviors um, you know, that demonstrate that. Or if I think I need to protect myself against, against them, they're going to hurt me, you know, they can't be trusted, then I would take on that, you know, that way of being and start doing those things that are in line um, with that belief system. And what's so powerful about it is that it's it's wired into our bodies, right? So because it's an experience, so those feelings, they're, they're hardwired into our bodies. And so we can feel it, right? So every time we get triggered, we can feel it in our body and it, and it creates either a fight or a flight um, type of feeling. And you can feel it, you know, in your throat, in your stomach, you know, maybe you get all tense or, you know, anxiety, <laughs> right? And, You're hitting very close to home right yeah, now. Yeah, and so, and because, you know, it's like a cycle, so we keep kind of re, um, recycling this thought pattern and then those feelings, we start to see it like that's the truth then, right? So then, no, here's all my evidence, here's all these past experiences, so they are like that. You know, we do have to, you know, um, handle them this way. And so it becomes the truth, the absolute truth, whatever it is that we're believing. And eventually, you know, if you hold, you know, disempowering beliefs and, um, you know, um, experiences like that, you, it's not like you have a point of view, but you become that, right? And so if you're like a residential school survivor, it's like you become that and you take on all of it, whether it's, it's a bullying, um, you know, persona or it's a victimhood persona, right? And so you not only have a point of view about particular things, especially the past or history, you become that. 
And, you know, and that's like, that's a real extreme because it's not like point of views are bad. Like everybody has a point of view about everything, you know, whether it's like, you know, who has the best coffee, McDonald's or Tim Hortons? Well, that's just a point of view, but nobody goes to war per se, right? Or else cuts off relationships because, you know, they're true uh, Tim Hortons fans, right? So, so that's happening, you know, on one side. But what happens on one side is actually also happening on the, sorry, is also happening on the other. So, you know, if on this side, this is the church or the administrators of residential school, um, you know, the event in their past, the event in their space could be, you know, residential school. And for them, that creates, that creates feelings as well, whether that's, you know, embarrassment, guilt, shame, regret, whatever, um, you know, or it could be resentment too, you know, because it's not like 100% of the people who were involved in residential school, you know, were actually the ones doing the harm. But it's like everybody gets painted with the same brush. And so that could create, you know, even a silent, even, a, you know, a um, resentment or an anger. Like, why am I being blamed for this? I had nothing to do with this. Exactly. And it, it, it doesn't happen that way. Everybody gets painted with the same brush. It's, it's black and white. There is no room for shades of gray in, in this situation. So on the other side, that could create, you know, its own story, its own narrative, like, oh, we're always being blamed. Oh, you know, like, I, I can't even, I can't speak. And like, nobody's even speaking about the good things. Cause surely there was good things that happened there too. It couldn't have been all bad, you know? And so that creates an already listening on this side too. And that could sound like, Oh, here it comes. I'm going to be blamed. Oh, here it comes. I'm going to be attacked. Right. And so they take on, you know, their own way of handling that, whatever that is, if that's to withdraw, if that's to isolate, if that's to just, you know, you know whatever it is, or to be savior, right? So it's, okay, I need to fix this. I need to do whatever I can to fix this. And so it, it sets in motion something else on the other side too. And you can feel that, right, in your body. Like, you know, most, in, I'm making an assumption here, but my sense is, is that, you know, most non-Indigenous people have a radar for when they need to be walking on eggshells, right? When they're in a conversation, you know, with a non with an indigenous person. And they can see you can feel tension when there's something in the space. And that's what's in the space is all this stuff. So, you know, whatever, and the, so the same thing happens. So they take on, you know, their absolute truth, their position and and their point of view, whatever that looks like. So that exists in the space. Um, no matter, no matter what the issue is, if it's residential school, if it's anything, anytime there's two opposing points of view, all of that, all of those components are in the space. We, and we can see that in Canada, even like, you know, last year, let's say a, like, these are the freedom truckers, right? 
And B is everyone who's not a freedom trucker. Well, you can see, you know, all of the, there's a point of view, there's a belief system there, there's assumptions, there's judgments, all of it on both sides. And it's highly emotionally charged. So if you were to bring two people, you know, who believe the two opposites like that and try to reconcile, that's, it's going to go up like a tinderbox because there are feelings and emotions that are attached. So, you know, it shows up, you know, between a husband and a wife, you know, especially if they're going through a divorce or something. <laughs> the wife's got a huge story about the husband and the same on this side, right? And so that is what gets in the way, you know, of, um, of reconciliation. And the thing about it is, is that it's fluid, right? It's, it's an organic thing. So sometimes, um, sometimes it's right in the space and some, and most times it's actually off to the side, right? You know, we all have, um, we all have these about, you know, certain things certain um, issues in our lives. Most of the time they leave us alone. They're out in the background, right? But when we get triggered, when we get reminded, you know, about something that is, um, reminds us of that, it has the tendency to boomerang. And it boomerangs right back into the front with as much power and passion that it had, like, you know, in the beginning. And that's when it starts to cause us trouble because, you know, when we get into this space, there's no, there's no possibilities there. There's, there's no hope there. It's just like, you know what, forget it. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't even want to be in relationship with this person anymore because it's a push, right? It's like a, who's right? Who's wrong? Who's stronger? Who's, you know, who's, who's what is it like an immovable object in an unstoppable force? What we've um, been experiencing, especially since like the first discoveries in Kamloops, right? So is that like, if, if something from the past, an event from the past, if it's not resolved, if it's not completed or healed, it has the tendency to come back. So, you know, the, the conversations around residential school, they started in the early 2000s, right? And, and back then, um, you know, it was between, you know, residential school survivors and the people, um, you know, who, who taught in the schools or, or the church. At least in, in our organization, that's who we originally worked with. And um, and then, you know, it, it kind of goes underground, this thing. Right. And it's kind of out of people's space. There was compensation. There was, you know, an apology. There was all of this. And then and then um, Kamloops and then boom. So for like 80,000 or 100,000 people across Canada, they get re-triggered and all of their stuff comes back full front with the same, uh, you know, with the same emotional um, capacity, right, that it had back then. So then people are like re, you know, bringing that back, re-triggering re that as if, as if none of the steps that we've made in the last 20 years mattered. And that's, that is, you know, I think what people don't understand is that if you don't resolve something, it comes back and it recreates itself. 
because you know if i look at residential school well to me the most um the most hurtful part of residential school was taking kids away from their families and their communities their homes to me that was that was at the core of it and you know the last school closed down in 1996 um so that system is no longer in operation. It's finished, it's done, it's over. But it's not complete because of that emotional attachment. And because it hasn't been completed, we are recreating it now. Because if you look in any indigenous community um, across the country, kids are still being taken away from their homes, their families and their communities. Only now it's called you know, the child welfare system. So we've essentially recreated, you know, that that which, you know, disconnected us, you know, from the spirit of, of who we are. So and if we don't resolve it now, today, in the future, it's going to continue to show up in the, you know, our if we don't if we don't resolve it in the present, it's going to continue to show up in the future. And it's the same for Canada. Like if we don't fully resolve, you know, this this thing around residential school for ourselves, then it's going to keep showing up in our lives. So our work handles the individual because reconciliation is an individual process and you can see it. And that's why you know it's been such a slow go because you can't you can't um wave a magic wand you know or give everybody money or do an apology and then and then this stuff is gone from everybody it, it doesn't happen that way it's an individual process so our work looks looks at it from a place of responsibility so if this is me over here and i am a residential school um student and um uh i'm a product of it because uh, in my family so for me you know this this isn't this is personal this is my work this is what i need to like continue to kind of free myself from because even though the event maybe i didn't do that um to myself, I did all the rest. And I keep recycling it in my space. So we show people that there is a choice. You don't have to have this stuff in your space like 24 seven, like it's never gonna go away. So it's not about erasing it or deleting it because it can never be deleted. It's about, sh it's about time, shorter shorter time of this in your space than longer because a person can stay in this for days weeks months years there's people living in there in there thinking this is this is you know what's real here so for me you know it's about shorter times that to have this triggered and that's a personal that's a personal responsibility spirit and that's why you know we've been still working like 20 years later because it's because it's an individual thing it's it's tools and so what we do is we identify all of these for people so my like they're all they're all individuals so i have a name for this a name for this a name for all of these things that are 
particular to me. And the reason we get people to name them is because you can't let go of what you don't own. So this stuff is in my space. So I have to own that and be responsible for that instead of blaming somebody else for this being there. And that is huge. That, that is power. You know, then it means that you're not the victim. It's a step beyond kind of victimhood, right? So then you take your power back because even if you get triggered, you're not handing your power over to someone who triggered you or an event that triggered you. You're owning that. And then it'll stay as long as you say. And so that, that is, um, that's a huge paradigm shift for a lot of people who didn't don't realize that they do have a choice um, whether they can keep that or let it go. And we we bring it forward from a place that, you know, and a lot of this is in, in our language. So the, the teachings of this are in our languages because there is no word for hate. There, there's no word like that for resentment. The closest you can get to it is... Um, it's a word that means, okay, you'll feel that, you'll feel that temporarily. But the understanding is you're harming yourself. And that's why it's temporary. You're allowed to hold it a little while, but you're harming yourself. And so the idea is that it's a temporary feeling. It's not, you know, to set up a tent and live there. And so when we lost our language, we also got disconnected from those types of teachings because everything that we need to know about how to live and, and how to live in a place of peace is in the language. So returning to spirit kind of brings those teachings to life in a really practical way. You know, it's like the, the Ten Commandments. Okay, here's the, here's the laws you've got to live by, but nobody tells you how to do it. Nobody tells you like, you know, like, okay, how do you love, you know, your mother and father when they were crappy? You know, so no one tells you how to do that. And it's the same with the seven teachings. So there's love and respect, and but no, they tell you you have to live that way, but not the how. <laughs> not the how. So this is exactly. And then the how is the most important, right? And how do I do that? And so for us, this is a process that kind of really spell, spells it out for people. Well, this is the first tool. This is how you let go. This is what you're letting go of. This is identifying. And awareness is a big, is a big thing um, in that. The goal is, you know, for people uh, to start taking their power back. And even with forgiveness, you know, like there's a lot of Indigenous people today that's like, oh, I'll never forgive. You know, oh, I'll never, like, I'll never let go. Because we have a misconception that if we let go, that's saying we condone it or we saying it's okay or we're not willing to let go of the claim for revenge. But meanwhile, it's like an acid, right, that we're drinking all this resentment and this anger, but we're expecting the other people to suffer for it. So we bring forward even forgiveness from a place of choice that you're not forgiving for them, you're forgiving for you because you want peace in your life. And so the bottom line for us is, is that reconciliation means peace.
peace for yourself. If you don't have peace with yourself, then I mean, you can't give away what you don't have. So our yeah, so our work um, actually looks at all of the underlying causes. What is in the way? I think that's a really good approach to handling a very, very complex situation like we have between the relationships between uh, non-Indigenous and Indigenous folks and the, the systems that did take advantage. Because, yeah, if we're in this constant infighting, and it can be a struggle, as a uh, queer man, you know, we're here in uh, Pride Month, and we're hearing a lot of rhetoric from uh, individuals, it can be hard to be like, to, to try and see them from a point of view and work towards, because you're right, there is a lot of emotions that can uh, come up when you're having a, I'll say, conversation uh, with someone. Well, and that's actually a really good example, you know. So my daughter, so my, my daughter is gay. So I go, so I go to this gathering to learn, to understand, right, to even let go of my own biases, my own assumptions around it. Because I come from a small community and you know that. And plus, I'm from a totally different generation, too. Anyway, so I go to this event, but then I messed up the acronym and I didn't say them right. And I got shamed and I got, you know, like, oh, my God, like, uh, right. And I and I felt so like I felt bad one because I messed it up. But one, I was nervous and I'd never been and I was there to learn. And I was, I you mean, know, to be fair, the acronym is very complicated and changing all the time. <laughs> In my opinion, right? So, you know, I was treated with like, like no t- like intolerance, right? And impatience. And I get that, but I was learning. So that's the event. So there's me. That's the event. Then I start creating a story because there's feelings attached to it. It's embarrassment. You know, it's awkwardness. It's uncomfortable. And then I start to get angry that I'm like, holy, you know, like what? I, I'm okay so I messed it up like you know and then so then I start building my hey you know and you can see it so then and the idea is is that that's mine right because that conversation I'm doing that so then the rest of the day I'm I click into my already knowing I'm like you know seeing who else is gonna reject me here who else is like you know gonna treat me like that ah there's one You know, and there could be 99 people that are like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Like, yeah, you know, it's like you're you're awesome for like learning. And then one person would be like, who am I going to focus on the 99 or the one? Right. And that's how it gets built. So then, you know, I might walk away from there with the point of view like, oh, my gosh, they're so intolerant. Like, I'll never. It's it's so hard to handle these situations because. Yes, people can explode like those triggers and it can be really hard when you're dealt with things in your past of bigotry, discrimination, hate towards another group. Exactly. That that's my point. Right. So here I am. And here's somebody who maybe their parent wasn't, you know, and then that gets triggered and boom, that brings like all that stuff, whatever that reminds them of. So then they start. So then that brings all of their stuff to the forefront, which it previously wasn't there. So it is these triggers. And what I'm saying is it happens everywhere in every situation. It's not an indigenous thing. 
It's a human thing. And which is why I, I've been challenging myself. I have preconceptions, as I myself have religious trauma, which makes me very uh, empathetic with uh, residential schools. Not to say that the situations were are similar in any means, but I can understand um, trauma from there. But understanding it is not all individuals, and if someone is using hateful rhetoric or uh, language, it's because of a system that they're in. It doesn't mean they can't change. I think that's the distinction that gets lost on a lot of people. The church itself is not a is not a human, right? It, it, it's an institution that is made up of individuals. So if you want to transform the church, then you have to start with the individuals because it's an individual process. You know, sometimes you're not going to be able to come to a conclusion with someone. It's as humans, there are some times that no matter what, we're never going to get along with some individuals and that's okay. The important thing is to remember to not explode yourself <laughs> afterwards and, you know, move forward, understand that situation. And then you can approach the next conversation in a new enlightened banner. And it doesn't mean that you can't still be in a relationship with people if you differ in one area, mm -hmm. in one point of view. As someone on the left, uh, I don't agree with everything that some of my friends say. They don't agree everything with I believe, but we understand, you know, we have more that we like or have in common than we have opposing, and that means our relationship can work and be positive. Yeah, and I think, you know, and so for me, it's like you don't have to agree 100% because nothing is black and white. There is always shades. Like, because when I hear the, when I hear the exact, the reasons, right? So it's like, well, you know, why would you trust the government? Because 500 years of history has said we should not trust them. Every time, you know, we think we should, we've looked back. Residential school is a big one. That was good for us. That was the law. Everybody was on board with sending us there. And I'm sure there was people who didn't agree that they didn't want their kids to go there. And they were the wing nuts of the time, right? They got arrested, they got whatever. So how is this any different? So, you know, like for me, I like, yeah, we were locked in our community, couldn't leave, right? There's blockades. Well, doesn't that sound like the Indian past? Do you know, you know what I mean? And so it's like, huh, okay, right? So, you know, and it's still being able to, you know, be in relationship with people, even though, yeah, they may make valid points because a lot of people do. But the idea and the skills that we teach people is around their point of view, like being responsible for it. So if you let your stuff go so you can have a conversation with somebody who believes something different, just to let it go for like five minutes or two minutes, however long that conversation lasts and allow new information to come in. If you take some, you know, oh, OK, that makes sense. Oh, OK. And then you reform your point of view. It's still your point of view. And so the idea is just to keep putting it aside in these situations to, to bring and to keep the conversation turning, which is the essence of reconciliation. Because when there's no reconciliation, there's no conversation.
There's not even a willingness to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with what you agree with. And that's where we fail. So what we do is we teach people how to set aside theirs just long enough to have one conversation. And it's that skill that's needed through life because there's going to be tons more situations when you don't agree you know, with, with someone else and especially in your family. Fantastic. Uh, so Lisa, you mentioned that uh, there's a reconciliation event uh, taking place next week. Yeah, we are heading to uh, BC, uh, to Victoria, uh, to do a reconciliation with the, or the uh, Diocese of Victoria. And in preparation for that reconciliation, we've had a couple of one-day events, we've had two Indigenous workshops, and we've also had one non-Indigenous workshop. And so the coming together um, is going to be uh, next week. And so we'll bring those two groups together um, for our reconciliation. And when we started the partnership, um, it was because of of, um, Kamloops. Um, But it it, it ties in really nicely with now uh, with the Pope's um, anticipated visit um, next month. Uh, Because I think for a lot of people, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, they're kind of wondering, you know, how is is this, how is his visit? You know, how how is that going to, you know, impact uh, relationships and everything that we've done um, so far in terms of of reconciliation in this country? Or, Or maybe even highlight some of the gaps. Lisa, it has been fantastic talking with you. I really appreciate the work that Returning to Spirit is doing. Where can people go to find out more information? Uh, Well, you can go to our website, which is www.returningtospirit.org. Have a story you want us to share and community we should highlight? Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk, and have yourself a good one.